may have heard that there's an epidemic. The COVID state of emergency is officially over now. It's President Biden signed that it's last week, so three years later, that's over officially. But the epidemic of depression in America is not over. And yeah, if, you've, if you're alert, if you're aware, like one of the hallmarks of our, our culture, our time right now, is that there are a lot of people who are dealing with high levels of sadness and depression. And we can spend a lot of you know, energy, and it, it's important to look at the causes of that. We could look at like, well, is that, how much of that is related to, to technology and smartphones and social media? Definitely a big factor. How much of that is the breakdown of the family and the lack of meaningful relationships? How much of that is ult ultimately, you could say it's all from a lack of connection with God? Um, how much of that is uh, just lack of resilience in people. Those are all things we can look at, but actually, I want to come from a different angle this morning because according to God's word, sadness is an incredible opportunity. And sadness is an important part of the human experience that opens us up, potentially, to come into so much more that God desires for us and for the world. And I'm, I, this, some of this is coming, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 5, 4 from the Beatitudes this morning. And I'm definitely talking to you personally just out of some of the stuff I've, I've learned the last couple years and, and walking through my wife Reagan's uh, battle with the dastardly disease of cancer and then passing away and uh, difficult health stuff with my daughter Anna for the last like 10 years dealing with stuff that's just been intense. And now I did my daughter, Amzi, for the last four years with epilepsy, where it's been very, very intense and a lot of why and what's going on, but a lot of like actually growth that's happened in my life. And I still very much feel like, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I very much feel like, actually, I feel like I have so much to say. I really feel like it's, gonna, it's a challenge to, to not try to say too much. So. I'm, I'm trusting God to help this be the right focus, but um, I really believe God has something. Even as we were worshiping, I just sensed that, like, you know, this is the right people are here today, that God wants to encourage us and give us direction to help us walk through the reality of, of sadness and um, depression and those challenges in life. So um, you don't need to, like, raise your hand and go, that's me, I need that, that's okay. Um, but I, I know that that's, you know, really all of us um, need this. But in Matthew 5.4, this is the most famous, influential message ever given by anyone. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He starts out with the Beatitudes. And the second one, Matthew 5.4, he says, Blessed, and you could even say, translate blessed as happy. This is really interesting. But say, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, you know, that's, some of you are like, I like that, because if I'm honest, there's a lot to mourn about in the world. You know, there's, there's a lot to, to look at and go, you know, things just, doesn't seem like it should be like this. There's a lot of stuff in my life that it's just, 
I don't think it should be that way. And I think that's true. C.S. Lewis talks about how that even in the, the best experiences of life, in this present life, there's an inner sense, if you're awake, there's an inner sense of like dissatisfaction. There's an inner sense of like, I'm touching something, I'm tasting something that's good, but I'm like longing for something more. I sense that, man, I, there's, there's a level of full, fullness and fulfillment that I yearn for that I'm not fully experiencing. And, and don't get me wrong, like, God brings fullness of life to this life and goodness and joy. Um, but even in the best experiences on this life, it's, it almost like points us to that, the life of the age to come. It points us to the, the life that we were really made for that we don't fully experience. And that's talking about the best of experiences in this life, all right? Then there's all the rest, and then there's the really tough stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of times we have this idea that to be a Christian is to be just happy, clappy, put a smile on, and everything's good, and yeah. But, you know, that, that is not authentic. That's not the way Jesus lived. Jesus lived with, a, lived with a great joy, but he also, his heart was moved and broken with compassion, for the brokenness of the world around him. He wept when he, at, at the tomb of Lazarus, and he, so there were the effects of sin and death and brokenness and sadness and sorrow in the world. Uh, he, was, he was moved by that. And, you know, there is something, if, if we're awake, in the reality of this broken world, that we should and will feel the agonizing part of this, of this life. But... Let's, let's keep it, that this promise is blessed are those who mourn, not because they'll be just stuck in a pit of despair all the time, but there is a comfort that comes in that place. There is, and really I think it's so important that we, it's not just like, we're going to look at some things this morning that it can be like principles or like ways to walk through this, but it really is, they shall be comforted by someone. Right? It's there, there is a someone, there is a God, there is a comforter who, when we draw near to him in that place, when we mourn towards him, he meets us in that place and we encounter him in that place. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All right, how are you guys doing? I don't know if you're like, yeah, it's like, what am I supposed to look like? Am I supposed to look mournful? That's a, don't worry. Not, anyway, it's not supposed to look like anything. But um, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. You know, I, I think a lot of us have experienced this to different degrees. I know um, for, for me, some of the most powerful experiences with God in the last couple of years have been the times where I've just been overwhelmed with with life and the sorrow of situations and where I've literally just cried and cried out to God and sobbed. I mean, there have been times where my, my kids have walked in the room and like, oh, I didn't really want you to see that, but there it is, you know? It's just like, but there's, but in those places, there is then something of God showing up and an incredible cathartic presence of meeting and the, the release and the, the, the you know, the coming of, of, of mourning, but mourning towards God and then him coming in that place and just like, okay, God, you're real. You're in this place. This is, this is amazing. If you read much of the Bible, 
much of the prophets, much of the Psalms. You're like, man, these people needed some medication. <laughs> like, we would be, we, they would definitely have been on high levels of medication in our culture. There is no doubt. You know, David, the man after God's own heart, you're like, he wrote half the Psalms and a good chunk of those, probably half of those. You're like, dude, you're depressed. Dude, you're paranoid. You're schizophrenic. I mean, you're like, well, if you know his life, you're like, well, he wasn't, he, was, he wasn't imagining. He really did have all these enemies. But, like, he's pouring out his heart to God and the, the sense of, of sorrow and lack and need and the enemies and the intensity. It's like, man, that's there. Um, but in those places, he, we also see he comes through and God, he finds comfort. He finds encouragement in God. That's what God has for us, too. Um, but I, you know, I, when, I, when I read this verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, I have a, I think, a healthy reaction towards what I think is the shallow religious interpretation of this, these words of Jesus. Because I think we often hear that like, blessed are those who mourn, because then God will come to them and say, and just bring a form of, of consolation that's like not too far away from a pity party. Like, yeah, it really is bad. And, you know, it is sad, and your life really is hard, and I care about you. And that's, that's part of it. But that's not the full picture of what Jesus is getting at here. The, when you look at the, even the word comforted here, it's, you may, if you think about, those of you who, who know, have read the Gospels and know, learn much about the Holy Spirit, that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Um, the Greek word is the, the paraclete. But it's interesting that the word, that some, sometimes it's translated comforter, and sometimes it's translated advocate. And it's in languages, it's, it's difficult to translate sometimes because we have like certain categories of words that we, we fit, but different languages do that differently. And in the, the Greek and the Hebrew mindset, the idea that, that, that Jesus is talking about here is, is beyond what we think of, of just consolation. It's not just blessed are those who mourn, for they will be consoled. That's part of the word. If we look at um, the definition, this, this word comfort or parakaleo, um, it has legal overtones. It's the idea of an advocate or like a lawyer who is going to your defense, coming to your aid. And so parakaleo literally means, kaleo means to call to call out or to call up. So para means to come alongside. So this is saying God comes to us. He comes right alongside us. And then he calls to us. And he calls, part of that is the consolation and the comfort and the encouragement. But part of that is also like calling us up. Like changing us. Like calling us into something more in our person. And then it's also vindicating us. It's also like the lawyer that's like, you know what? This is not right. And I'm going to make the best defense to bring things about 
in a different manner. And so the comforting, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, is not just like God throwing a pity party for you, but it's God saying, you know what? You are sensing something that's wrong, but I have done something about that, and I'm doing something about that, and I will do something about that. And you're right, this is a broken world, but I haven't left that way left it that way. I'm committed to changing it. I am changing it. I died and rose again to bring new creation. And I am bringing that, and I will bring that. And so the comfort is not just the like, hey, it sucks, but you know, that you can feel a little better while it's bad. But it's the, I'm doing something about the brokenness of it all. Is that, that to me, that's a game changer. That like is everything. It's not just like, okay, but it's like, I am, you're right. Mourn it because it's dastardly. It's not okay. You should be grieved about this. But this isn't where it ends. I have died for this. I have risen again for this. I have brought my kingdom into the world. I'm bringing my kingdom into the world. And I will bring my kingdom into the world. And what you long for, it's coming about. That's the comfort I want. I want a comfort where there is a day with no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more injustice. And that's the kind of comfort that God brings to us in this place. It's, it's wild that the, or it's insightful that this beatitude is sandwiched by the, the two right before it and right after it. Let's go ahead and look at those. Um, right before that it says, he opened his mouth to talk to them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, we talk about kingdom of heaven. We're not just talking about pie, uh, pie in the sky by and by when you die. Right. The kingdom of heaven is not just where you go when you die. It's God's rule and reign that he has brought into the world, starting with his life and death and resurrection and ultimately coming through history and when he comes back. And so theirs is this kingdom, this rule and reign of God that changes things from the brokenness. Blessed are those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Man, in this broken earth... In this messed up earth, God is bringing an inheritance of his people, inheriting it and helping it to be the kind of earth that he made it to be. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it's the comfort that, man, I'm, God is making all things new. And it may not look like it, it's not fully happened yet, but God wants to bring it into our lives right where we are right now, and progressively, and then he will ultimately bring it about. Okay, um, this is, I hope you got that. You got that? All right, because um, everything I'm saying is, is built upon that. Good, all right. So, there's some enemies of mourning. There's some things that make it difficult for us to, to truly mourn like this. And looking at Wei Daga there. Wadaga is a good friend from Ghana. I was talking to Wadaga a month or two ago and about funerals in Ghana. And it's different than funerals in America. Um, in Ghana, you should ask Wadaga, he could give you more details, but funerals are very important. And it's important that you get buried in the place where you're from. And he has, a, I'll get the story wrong, but he has an uncle who died like 16 years ago or something. 
And he had moved like from his hometown actually to a different, he was not even from Ghana, was from across the border. And there, it's, but at the funeral, it's when the family needs to come together and celebrate. And that, because of people living abroad and living in different places, that hadn't happened. So that just happened a little bit ago, where the whole family came together, and 16 years later, they had a funeral going back to the hometown to have like the real grieving and mourning and marking of this, this man's life. Um, and that's just, that's just interesting. And, um, but one funny thing Ray Dabi told me is that it's so important that at a funeral that you mourn. So I think that, tell me if I'm wrong, but 16 years later, people were crying at this funeral because like, that's just what you gotta do. You know, it's like, yeah, you gotta like, you gotta really grieve and, and part of the whole, and you see this in the Bible, even in, and I, I lived in Taiwan growing up, there are a lot of Asian cultures and other cultures, you pay people to mourn at funerals. Because of someone's life, if you really love them, there needs to be a lot of, a lot of crying, a lot of weeping, a lot of loud travail. And so, you need, that's all part of, you know, how you show that you care about someone and love them. And so, Wadaga was telling me that when they come to someone's house to visit, before, you know, around the funeral time, you'll hear people like walking up the sidewalk, walking, you know, to the house, and they're talking, and they're laughing, and they're conversing, and then they come up to the door, and they turn on the cry button, and they, they start wailing, because that's what you do. That's just, that's how you show. So the first enemy of authentic mourning is control. Control. If you're, if you're trying to control things, you don't really mourn authentically. And in Ghana, it looks like that. In America, it looks kind of the opposite, more like we never actually mourn. Because we gotta like, keep things together. And we, we wanna be in charge. And so we don't ever allow space for, for sadness. Um, this is, how many of you saw that, that uh, the great movie, in my opinion, Inside Out? I think this is a great movie. And it really, like, it highlights this, that there's the girl, um, Joy's her name, right? Joy's, who's, what's the name of the girl? Riley. Riley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Riley, and so Riley moves from, I imagine the Midwest? It's been a long time, somewhere, like, Wisconsin, yes. She has a good, Anna loves this movie, I knew she could count on her. Um, she moves to California, and she's always been happy. Minnesota, not Wisconsin. <laughs> Get it right. It's almost the same. They all kind of talk the same up there. I'm from Wisconsin. Minnesota. Anyway. Um, but she's going, she's, she's sad. She's, and she's trying so hard to process this. And it shows like all oh, there's fear and there's joy and there's sadness. And something else in the mix. And the, more, the, the lesson of this movie is that she was trying to like suppress the sadness, but it was when she actually like gave room to the emotion of sadness that she could process things in a healthy way and things came back together. And this is essential. And so much of our like modern life, we've lost that reality, like the proper place of actually having space to be sad and to look at what is broken and to mourn it and then to process it in a well, so in a good way. So control is an enemy of mourning. Another enemy of mourning is comfortable. Comfortable is the enemy of mourning. 
if you're comfortable, you're not going to mourn. And, you know, that may be okay. You know, it's not like we're just supposed to mourn all the time. But when, if things are going pretty good in my life, then I'm not going to mourn. And, but Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And so, one of the things that's an enemy, especially in American life with all our, our prosperity, is that things are really pretty good for a lot of us, and we can so easily lose track of the brokenness of the world and not have the heart of compassion that Jesus has, that he wants us to identify with that. It's, you know, like when the ambulance is going down the road. I'm, I find myself asking the wrong questions. I'm asking the question, do I really have to get over? All, do I really have to stop? Or can I just like, kind of like get in the right lane and keep moving? Instead of asking the question, oh shoot, someone's life is in, da in danger here. Someone may be dying here. This is a tragic event. But we're like, so just like, if everything's going good in my life, then I'm comfortable, then I don't really, then I'm okay. So comfortable is the enemy of, of mourning. I've found myself, I felt like a question I came to just in my, <clears throat> in my relationship with the Lord and personal processing recently is I was just, been just contending for, for my daughter Amzie's health and praying and still saw some really great things happen recently and improvement. Um, but I've, I asked myself the question, I've asked myself a couple times in the last couple of years, like, okay, wait, God, if, if Amzie is totally healed today, Am I going to be able to remain in a place of compassion for the brokenness of the world? And I found, like, it's so crazy, like, how easy, like, once things start to go better for me, I'm like, oh, the world is okay, actually. Yeah. And I lose sight. It's like, I, I don't really care that much about the brokenness of the world around me. And so... God, God, you know, he's, he wants more for us than that. He's, he wants us to be more like him than that. And so comfortable. He, there's a place where we need to be carrying that, that compassion. Um, so comfortable is the enemy of mourning. And then cold is the enemy of mourning. Becoming cold. By that I mean becoming numb. I mean like you're so like in your thing for so long and it hasn't gotten better, that you just kind of become numb to it. You become dull about it. Or the brokenness of the world, same thing. It's just like, well, okay, I've, I've, you, I've kind of given up hope that there could be something better. This is just the way that it is. And so I've become used to it. And a lot of times we even have bad theology that reinforces this. Like, well, you know, it's, the world is a bad place, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and it's just going to be really bad until finally Jesus comes back and we all go to heaven. And you know, it's just bad theology. No, God so loves the world, and God is making things new, and God will remake the world. Um, but we become numb. We're, we're more like Buddhists. And Buddhism actually is the idea, a huge part of Buddhism is the idea that the problem in the world is desire. And because everything wrong comes from our desires, you need to suppress your desires. 
You need to basically turn off the desire function within you. You need to empty yourself of desire. And there's some re reason for that. You know, it's, it's true that our desires have been corrupted. Our desires are easily a place for temptation to come. But God's word teaches us that desires are from him. Healthy desires are from God. Those who delight themselves in the Lord, he will give them the desires of their heart. And so, walking with God is not about eradicating desire. It's about seeing what our desire really is. And then getting the real fulfillment for that desire in him. Um, so, but, but cold. Becoming, so, we can just kind of like suppress like the longings and desires of our heart. But God wants us to know, to, to be in touch with that and actually to look to him for that in a way where he can meet us in that place. So three enemies, comfort, uh, control, comfortable, and cold. I think I got all three. I don't know about you. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. How do you mourn well? I smile because I'm not sure how I got, how I'm up here talking about this. Not the most natural thing for me. But I, very important in what I'm learning. Here's, I'm going to just walk through some, closing with this. How do we mourn well? One, get around hurting people. That may be you, that is you, to a degree. But it's also not having the focus of our life being around building our little kingdom where every, if everything's good in my happy American life, then everything's good. But Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, it's, God wants us to, to be close enough. You know, those of us who are Christians, like, your life is pretty good. Your life is really good. I mean, actually, Winky Prattney, famous, uh, for me, influential uh, voice in my life, says that, he said, that, you know what, the best day of my life before Christ wasn't as good as the worst day with Christ. And that's true. And so often, for us as Christians, we forget, like, wow, those without a relationship with God, like, they, are, they really need God. And so, get around lost people. Get around sick people. Get around poor people. How, who am I around that, that is broken? And that helps us, really, to, to, to mourn, to, be, to see the need of the world and to be in that place. I it can... It can go against the grain, and, and it's, I, there, was a, there was a guy in the last couple of years that um, I knew who was an older guy with a lot of health difficulties and mental health difficulties, and he ended up living in a, in a, in a nursing home, and he was a difficult guy to be around, and I got to know him a little bit, and I felt like, you know, I should go, like, spend time with this guy, like, try to come go every, every week or two. 
And I, so I started going over there and playing chess with him, hanging out. And he was a difficult guy. Like, he kept getting, movie, getting moved out of rooms in the nursing home because he couldn't get along with his roommates. <laughs> and he was tough to be around. But I felt like, you know, I need to just take an hour or two a week and spend time with him. And I felt like when I was, like, explaining my day to people, I felt like I had to, like, I was doing the wrong thing. Like, I was wasting time. Like, what are you doing? How, like, what's the point? This isn't a guy who's receptive. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> like, most people think, like, hey, pastors should do stuff like that. I don't know. But it was, like, there, it just, there was, like, so much, like, resistance to, like, this is a good way to spend your life. And... Man, that's, i just here to say that that's not true. Like, it's, it's good to be around people that are, that, that are problem people. Even if you don't see tangible results, it is just good to be in that place in the world and to be in touch with what's going on. So get around hurting, get around hurting people. Second part of, I want to talk about how to mourn well is be honest. Be honest. Be honest with God about what ails you. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God about what's bothering you. Be honest about how you feel. Um, it's helpful to, for a lot of people to, to have a journal of some sort. Write these things down. Probably like, okay, what, what am I feeling today? What is bothering me? What's going on? Um, and then honestly, come to God in those places. Open up your heart to Him. Talk to Him. And let him show up. Give him room to, to show up in those places. Be honest. <clears throat> What's, what is it that's troubling you about your life, about those close to you, about the world? And then go to God in that place. So get around lost people, broken people, hurting people. Be honest. And then number three, ask what God wants to change in you. Uh-oh. You were liking this until now. But this is an incredible opportunity for us to, to really, for God to get our, for God to get our attention. The, the word we're, um, in, in, in Matthew 5.4, blessed are those who mourn. The word mourn, the Greek word is pentheo. And again, there are different dimensions of these words that go beyond our mental constructs. But aspects of this word is to mourn, to lament, and to feel guilt. And I'm not saying that like, you should take all the guilt of all the problems of your life or the world upon yourself. But it is true that all the problems and brokenness of the world are because of sin. Everything in the world is because of human rebellion against God. And a lot of the problems in our life are because of our sin. <laughs> And the sin of other people. And so, it's, you know, I'm not, you know, you can, you can take this the wrong direction. You can beat yourself up in a way that's not healthy. But standing in the grace of God, it's important to ask God, what, what do you want to do in me? Is there anything you want to do in me? Because what, the brokenness is because of sin, and the answer is through you changing people. So God, what do you want to do to change me? in this place. Um, it's wild that even, even Job, who was the most righteous man on earth, the Bible tells us, 
And the difficult experiences he went through were not because of his sin. It was just the testing that came his way. But even in that testing, it was revealed where there was more for him to come into. Where there was more of God that God wanted him to know. There was more of trust in God that God wanted to bring him into. There was a greater depth of character. There were character flaws that were exposed in the place of trial that hadn't been exposed before. And so there is something in, in this trial to, for God to get our attention and, and put his, help us to see what he's putting his finger on, where he's working in us. In Romans 8, 18 and 19, Paul writes, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The sufferings of this present time are connected to the glory, the transformation that God wants to bring about in us. And the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. This is saying that as we go through difficult times, there's something God wants to work in us that changes us. And actually the, the freedom of the world, the changing of the world, it's, it's through Jesus, but it's also it's through Jesus changing people. And as God raises up more and more people, the, the goal of history is for there to be a critical mass of disciples of Jesus who have been changed by him to a level that their character reflects him. And that is the point where the creation will be liberated into the fullness of what it was made for. That's deep stuff. All right, that's really deep. But it's saying that in all the brokenness, God is transforming us. And we, if we can partner with him in that, we're hastening the new creation that God is bringing about. Verse 29, For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Well, it may not be too hard when we just stop and ask, Okay, God, what are you doing in my life? He'll, he'll speak. You know, okay, that's it. All right, okay, that's what you want to do in my life. Or maybe ask a friend. Ask a trusted someone with a little more maturity than you, maybe, or a peer. Like, hey, what do you think I was doing in my life through this? And listen, and be willing to step into that thing. God will bring great transformation out of that place. A um, little bit uh, right in the middle of that passage in, in Romans 8, we read, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So as we're in this process of transformation and suffering and the brokenness of the world, God is bringing us to a place, and it's those of us who are, who are filled with the Spirit, of the Spirit interceding in us with groanings, with compassion, with a sense of, God, this is what you want to bring about in the world. And, as, and to pray through us for that to come about. The next part of how to, how to mourn well is to intercede. To let our, our groaning, to let our grieving lead us to a place of prayer. For ourselves and for others and the people around us. Man, I, I still feel like I'm not that great of a prayer, but I'm a better prayer the last couple of years have helped me learn how to pray like nothing else. I, I feel like I've got more like, traction, more authority, more passion, more belief in like, man, what am I called to do every day? I'm called to pray. I'm called to intercede. 
I'm called, I mean, I'm looking at the battles with my daughter Amzie right now. And I'm like, you know what, I know, what am I supposed to do every day? A lot of days it's like, man, just getting her dressed and like head above water and functioning seems like that's taking so much energy. But I know like the one thing I'm called to do is to intercede. I'm called to intercede for new creation to come to her life. I'm called to believe for, for her, God to do what he wants to do in her life and in our family. I'm called, I'm interceding for Manhattan. I'm interceding like I haven't before. It's, there's something, you know, I look back at times in my life. I'm like, yeah, I, I've, never, I'm, it's, I've never been like, you know, I think I prayed too much. <laughs> I, I, I messed up, I prayed too, no, it's like, that's always, it's like, no, that's, that's what God is leading me into, is to pray, to, to intercede. And that is, you know, it's wild when you look at the Bible, there's places like, like in Revelations, it talks about that the, the angels holding these bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. And there's a sense that like, as the bowls are getting filled, then that's like spilling over and answers are coming to the broken world. They're praying, God, how long, how long, how long will this be going on on earth? They're grieving for what's going on. And those prayers, those tears, are filling those bowls and bringing it closer. Bringing God's mercy and compassion. There's our, our, our heartfelt prayers, when we pray from that place, we're connecting with God. And His, His desire, we're praying, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And somehow, that's, that's the mission God's given us. That It's not going to happen apart from people fervently, earnestly crying out to God like that. But as we intercede, God comes through and he comforts and he brings, he brings his, his, his kingdom to the world. So we intercede. And then the last thing I want to say about how to grieve well, how to mourn well, is to dream. To dream. To see that the world, that the way things are right now, the, the way things are in my life right now, C.S. Lewis was right. There's, there is, this isn't the, all that there is. There is a preferred future that God has. God doesn't, it's not going to be forever. And God has called us to be part of changing things. And so, in your family, I mean, it may be like, you know, those, those of you with, with kids, it's like, oh my goodness, like, my child's doing this right now, and they won't stop, and I don't know why, and it's difficult, and what's going on? But, okay, God, what's your preferred future? What's your dream for this child of mine? What do you want to do in their life? Who have you made them to be? What's the character thing that you'd want to do in their life right now? This, it may just seem like, you know, they, they don't want to sleep. But, God, what are you, what are, what are you made them for? And I'm going to dream about that. I'm going to believe with you. For that. It may be, you know, a health thing where it's like, man, this, I've got this health deal or this friend of mine's got this health deal. It's like, well, God's bringing about a world. Jesus, everyone who, we, he, he healed everyone who came to him. Healing comes where he is. And healing comes where his kingdom is. And that is ultimately going to come through when he comes back and makes new creation. But it's, man, it's coming more and more right now as well. And we can dream and we can ask for God, let your will be done. Let your mercy come. Let your healing come to the world right now. Where there's injustice, where there's abuse, where there's 
economic dysfunction, whatever it is, to dream, God, what do you want to do? I found myself, the last couple of years, I've solidified that I think my favorite book in the Bible is Isaiah. And Isaiah is a really cool book. It's got 66 chapters. It's, there's 66 books in the Bible. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. And the first 39 books, chapters of Isaiah are largely about God's justice and the sin of Israel and the nations and the judgment that's coming. And so it really parallels, like, it's, it's bringing the character of God, but also how his people fall short. But then the last 27 chapters, and there are 27 books in the New Testament that bring the fullness of the gospel. The last 27 chapters of, of Isaiah from chapter 40 to 66 are just full of promises of the messianic kingdom, the Messiah, and how he would come, and the kingdom that he would bring, and, and how it would change the world, and how it would bring hope to his people, and change society. And it's, it's just chock full of promise after promise after promise after promise after promise. And I found like probably 50-60% of my time reading the Bible, the last two years has been in these chapters 40 through 66 of Isaiah. I'm just like saturating my soul with like, man, no, God, this is what you want to do. This is your kingdom. This is what you're bringing about. This is what you're like. This is what you're doing. And in the midst of everything that's going on, God, this is who you are. This is what you're bringing about. And it's just, man, I, God has comforted and encouraged and strengthened me over and over. And so read it. Go by wherever. Go other places. But dream. Dream the dreams of God for your life. Dream the dreams of God for the world. I just want to read a few of these verses in Isaiah 61. Um, because I, it's, it, what's interesting, when you read a lot of what Jesus said in his ministry, you realize, wait, he figured that out about himself from reading the Old Testament. And a lot of, like the Beatitudes, we're going to see some of this Matthew 5, 4, right here in Isaiah 61. Jesus, like, he, he, as a man, he got revelation and understood his mission and God's truth through the Old Testament scriptures. And um, this was part of it. Isaiah 61, this is what Jesus read when he, um, when, when he began his ministry as well. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It's upon Jesus. Because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, there it is, mourning. To comfort all who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Wow, Jesus came. He fulfilled this. A freedom to the captives. The opening of eyes. The letting people out of prison. Comforting those who mourn. Raising up oaks of righteousness. Verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the ancient desolation, devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. Man, that's what God is doing. That's what Jesus has initiated. That's what he's doing in the earth today. And so, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall experience comfort, and they shall bring that comfort into the world.
So, I, yeah, I think we're all in different places. I know we're all in different places. Um, I just want to ask, any, any questions about this this morning? No pressure. I just feel like there's a lot here. This is complex stuff. I may not be able to answer your question, but I'll try. How do you know when you complete the... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I knew this was going to be real questions. <laughs> you guys hear that? Because, um, yeah, it'd be nice, like, <laughs> sometimes it is. Like, you have a good cry, and then God meets you in that place, and everything's good. But the real tough stuff in life, it's a long process. Progressive, yeah. And it's like this cycle over and over again. So, um, I think you know it's over when you die. <laughs> that's, that's what I think. Um, yeah, you should become a Buddhist. <laughs> Might be easier. No, not really. Um, I, I don't, I, that's, it's just, it's intense. There, but I think there are cycles of like, you, you go to God, you mourn, and he meets you in that place. Like, he gives you what you need for that day in that place. And, and, and oftentimes more. You know, you have an encounter with God that, man, it's, it deposits something in you that can carry you. A lot. It gives you a lot. But that doesn't mean that you're done. <laughs> so I think you more, like, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to, like, be, there's this, like, negative, pessimistic view of, of the Christian life that I don't want to encourage. That it's like, it's just, like, life is hard and trials and, you know. No, it's like, there is, there is comfort. Like, whenever we go to God, I believe, like, he will meet you that day with what you need in that place. Um, but we just, we got to keep going to him, honestly, as we walk through this. So, until we die. And then, man, that's the hope, like, that this, the age to come, then we will break, we will be out of that cycle at that point. Yeah. 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 That's a good question. Um. Yeah, I think that's, that's 
a lot of things in life, like when you hit a, a wall that you're not getting through, then that's evidence you need something more. And so, yeah, a lot of things, like you go to God, and you and God, that's, that's it. A lot of times, you go that in combination with a friend or a couple good friends, believing friends that you're walking through this. Man, that, that's what you need. You know, maybe you need a pastor. You need someone or a, a more experienced Christian with some, you know, who can help mentor you through that. Um, and then, yeah, professional counseling is an option too with someone who's got resources in that place. Um, yeah. Leslie, do you have any, anything to add to that? I bet you might. Thank you. It's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, did everyone hear that? So it is like, yeah, getting professional mental health help going not, is that contrary to faith in God and relationship with God? I think that'd be similar to be like if you broke your leg. <laughs> you, you should pray. <laughs> All right, is that... <laughs> But there's also, there's, there, thank God for, like, it's a holistic, like, we're body, soul, spirit. There's all sorts of wisdom, and there are all sorts of ways that God provides help. And those are all, like, all of the world is God's. And we can make, like, some of the, like, spiritual categories and some of the, like, not. 
So thankfully there are great, there's a lot of great wisdom in the mental health world. And I'm so glad Leslie's here. And it's so even just like that example, that answer, you know, that like, no, there are people, there's like accumulated wisdom of people that have studied these things and helped people over the years that applies to other people that can help you just like you learn how to set a broken leg. Um, so I think that would be an unhealthy, you know, that response. But it's, it's, I don't want to be, it's complex, you know, because it can be, people can be overly dependent upon mental health professionals, or there are mental health professionals that aren't believers that are doing counseling that would be contrary to, to following Jesus. Or, you know, people can be overly reliant upon medication and not really going to the root of what God wants to do in their life. But the same is true about other medicines, too, you know, so it's just not so, I think it's something we've got to prayerfully, humbly walk through, but not have a simplistic of you uh, approach to. Is that? Okay, good. Yeah. Yes, Bill. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. All truth is God's truth. If it's true, it's from God. Whether it's how to process your feelings or how to build a bridge. Like, that's all God's truth. And we can get it from wherever it comes from. Yeah, that's great. Good. All right. One more. Can you mourn without tears? Yes. <laughs> You can mourn without tears. Um, but, <laughs> but if you never have tears, then there may be something going on there, too. <laughs> yeah, you may, it may be called being a man, or I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it looks different for different people. Yeah, but it's, it's good. Being vulnerable, being honest, yeah. Good. Awesome. All right. Well, we can, obviously these are conversations we need to keep having. And so let's keep having those. And um, if you have any, anything, other questions, you know, that I could help with, I'd love to, love to talk to anybody or plenty of other good people here as well. Um, I feel like, Tori, would you just pray for us here as we wrap up? Where's that microphone? Lord, I just thank you for this time together and this um, very real uh, obstacle that, that we all face in our lives, um, helping us uh, walk through that with you, Lord, and in your view of what our emotions are and, and what our actions should be, Lord. I pray that this week, as we um, move on with our days and as we uh, things come up in each of our lives, Lord, that we would be able to look to these steps um, to help draw closer to you and to help us mourn well. And when we find ourselves sad, help us mourn well, 
Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that you bless each and every person here, our minds and our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right.